Welcome to the Halliday Wine Companion Podcast. This is our space to chat about wine without all the fluff, from how to taste and describe it to how to pair it to that dinner party you're hosting next weekend. We'll be chatting to industry professionals from across the country, tackling all things wine from a palatable perspective. I'm Tom Carr, your host, and I'm part of the team here at Halliday, and this is By the Glass. Well, I had my first glass before midday today, but it's okay because it was sweet, right? Uh, think of it as a bit of a breakfast treat today. I am in Rutherglen in Victoria's northeast, and I am joined by a descendant of wine royalty, Nick Brown from All Saints Estate. Now, if the last name hasn't given it away, Nick has lived and breathed wine his whole life, spending his childhood running about the cellars of his family winery, you may know it, Brown Brothers in Millowa. And while he initially started off pursuing a career in geological engineering, God, thank God you found your way back into wine, (laughs) Nick, Uh, today uh, he is the winemaker at All Saints and um, he specialises in a variety of table wines, but in particular, which is today's topic of conversation, musket. Now, Musket of Rutherglen is an Australian treasure. It's, uh, you know, knowledge that has been passed down through generations with a history spanning over 100 years of family winemaking. Now, it's a rich, complex, intense uh, wine, and it pairs exceptionally well with savoury dishes through to full-flavoured cheeses, now I'm hungry, and desserts. Uh, Now, there's a lot in this topic, so we're going to launch straight into it. Can you please welcome Nick? G'day, Tom. <laughs> Nick. Very nice introduction. Thank you. <laughs> I just, I, I was getting a bit, I was kind of looking at it and then looking at the wine and I was sort of getting lost in it, lost in it all because, you know, it was quite the intro and I put a lot of weight on you. So, you know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, nice of you to visit. It's great to have visitors, uh, but particularly you and an, ex- an excuse to um, have a beautiful glass of musket before midday with someone. Absolutely. Nick. Now, I don't want to put too much pressure on you, but I am. Your surname is Brown, and that's a name associated with, as I said, Australian wine royalty. Now, there's some pretty big shoes to fill, right? <laughs> um, I'd never really think of it that way, to be honest, but um, I guess so. Uh, I try to get more things right than I stuff up, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> is, the, is the aim of the game. Uh, ideally, no stuff-ups, but um, yeah, but our family's been... In wine for 130-something uh, years. Yeah. Um, and I guess we, we kind of, to take a, a quote from the Haynes Paint family, we, we have wine running through our veins to a certain extent. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful industry to be in wine. Um, uh, it's something that, that brings pleasure to people and uh, we're in touch with, um, well, the, the process all the way through from um, raw agriculture and at the mercy of the elements um, right through to talking to people over the counter or travelling and, and uh, showing our wares around the world. And I obviously said that it is, you know, you've, you've got a name, it's synonymous with wine, and you did say to me earlier that you do feel a little bit of a sense of responsibility, particularly with musket. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, musket is a, 
uh, well, a variety of wine, uh, a style of wine, but it's also something that we nurture for, we can nurture it for generations and pass it on to the, 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 the generations ahead. Um, so hopefully um, my kids don't stuff it up and, and the, <laughs> the grandkids and great-grandkids, but it's something that I'm um, quite proud of having the responsibility, responsibility to nurture this um, beautiful style of wine, but with, with that responsibility comes with a lot of joy. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, we've, we're obviously going to get into it. We've got them in front of us. Uh, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven uh, muskets in front of us. So, you know, we've had a busy morning. <laughs> Let's talk musket. Now, for those who don't know a lot about it, Nick, what is it? Musket is, well, there's a family of um, musket varieties, two or 300 of them. Um, and it's a, it's a, in Australia, it's been made here for over 100 years now, 130, 40 years, um, particularly in the Rutherglen region. Um, it's a, a wine that is um, luscious and moorish and um, sweet, um, higher in alcohol than, than most table wines. And it, uh, it's a wine that sort of keeps on giving. It's um, made from grapes that uh, are super ripe out on the, in the vineyard. We leave, them hang, hang, leave the grapes hanging out there until a lot of the water's left the berries. So they're quite dehydrated by the time we, we pick them. And by the time they're harvested, they're super sweet. Uh, if you think of um, well, a dry wine, I guess take Shiraz for example, are usually fermented dry, but these wines can have um, upwards of 200 grams per litre of sugar. So they're obviously sweet, but they're balanced as well with the acidity that comes in the, in the grapes, the acid, in the, the natural acid in the grapes, um, and also the, the alcohol. So they're usually around 18% alcohol. So, um, and they develop over time really beautifully in the, in the barrels and big old casks that we have here and other wineries around the region have similar. Um, and they, they develop in such a beautiful, stylish way that uh, over time they just keep getting more and more interesting and, and luscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll obviously chat about food and wine or food and musket pairing later, but Nick was, you know, giving me some inspiration such as musket over ice cream and it was rather tantalising. <laughs> uh, so luscious is a good word, Nick. Mm. Uh, Nick, you've already touched on it, obviously, desserts, you know, but what styles of wine are commonly associated with the varietal? What style? Uh, um Essentially dessert wine, I guess. Fortified wine is usually considered or lumped into the dessert style of wine due to their high um, sugar level, really. Uh, but they're, they're, we're finding more and more uh, ways to enjoy the wine. Um, even the younger material, the younger wines we can use as um, using cocktails these days. And ah. it's, a, it's a beautiful new way to, to uh, introduce people to fortifieds, um, using them as mixers with soda water and that sort of thing. I was going to say, give me a cocktail recipe. What would you add? Uh, musket, soda water and a slice of, lem- uh, slice of orange is, is a beautiful little um, mm, starter. Okay, happy yeah. with that. Yeah, good one for by the pool. Yes, that sounds rather nice. Uh, now, Nick, I'm flicking my eyes down these questions because we've got a lot of content to move through today. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of musket in Rutherglen? Musket in Rutherglen was planted in the sort of late 1800s and most of the wineries here that uh, grew and made musket sent uh, it all back on ships. So it'd go down to Melbourne in barrels onto ships and then um, sailed all the way back to the UK where pretty much all the fortified wines, the muskets were sold. And being a fortified wine, they travelled really well in barrels because they were higher in alcohol. They didn't oxidise when they went on those ships over the equator in the warmer um, parts. Mm. Um, And also sloshing around in barrels um, 
Uh, they were quite uh, sturdy in their sort of makeup, I guess. So they travelled really well. Over time, I guess they, they they were a huge seller for the region. Rutherglen was one of the biggest wine producers in the world back in the day. And uh, but over time, uh, new styles of wine, sort of uh, reds, unfortified reds, I guess, so mm-hmm. things like Shiraz and Cabernet and Grenache, uh, gained more popularity until uh, the point oh five laws came in <laughs> which i think uh, before my time i think or before my memory uh, probably in the 70s late 70s maybe or yeah. early 80s yeah fortified musket got the blame or people started skipping the the last glass of the of the evening i guess over dinner or at a dinner party uh, musket was was skipped um people preferred to drink more bottles of red and white yeah. during dinner. <laughs> so those bottles didn't get the blame. Because Nick said to me before, he goes, yeah, no, people came to dessert and people went, no, I've got to skip that. Like it's just high in alcohol and I've got to drive home and there's a limit now. But, you know, I didn't care about the last 18 glasses of red I had prior to dessert. Yeah, so <laughs> poor old musket uh, were lumped with the blame so people started skipping them. But there's been a, a real sort of resurgence, I guess, um, in fortified wines and an interest, and it's, it's partly for people looking for um, uh, new things, but also partly to um, the, the lot of hard, many years of hard work by local winemakers mm. in in wheeling these wines out and and showing people and um, and uh, appreciating their, their their history and their their beautiful makeup. So it's it's been a labour of love for winemakers around here for years and years. And they're really just only hitting their, their sort of resurgence now, which is great. Yeah, because that's what I wanted to ask you. How do you think musket is perceived in society? Musket, I think for sort of the younger generation, um, it's, some, it's a, a, a bottle of wine that we would have seen in the back of our grandparents' uh, cabinet, <laughs> <laughs> possibly covered in dust. Um, even the, the, the bottle shops these days, it's um, – it's, it's, Heartbreaking when I walk into a bottle shop and the, the bottles are covered in dust. And but that's partly a failing on our part, wine producers' part, in not um, wheeling them around and 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 educating people on how to drink them and and when and and why um, and what to pour them over. That's Nick. right. Yeah. <laughs> and they're 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 often in those boring sort of brown bottles that look a bit seedy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the packaging really has a big impact too. Younger generations, so that sort of wine drinking generation these days, are, uh, I think uh, the st- statistic I read a while ago was about 80% of people's purchase decision is on the on the label and the bottle and the presentation. Which, so true. Which I think subconsciously I'm, I'm guilty for mm. uh, occasionally. We're uh, a superficial bunch, aren't we? We are, yeah. <laughs> that's that's part, part of the um, beast, unfortunately. But... Um, it, I think winemakers of Rutherglen in general, we've, we've packaged our wines in new um, bottles and labels and, and closures to, to appeal to our eye, I guess, and, and uh, hoping that someone will pick it up off the shelf and try it and spread the word. You made them a little bit more sexy. But you, well, yeah, it's always a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, let's talk about the grape. Now, what sort of conditions does it thrive in? Uh, musket, as a variety, loves... Uh, or, Part of the requirement for a beautiful musket is to have the grapes hang out on the vine until very late in the season. So normally we'd, we would have had all our other varieties, again, things like Shiraz and Cabernet and Chardonnay and Riesling, picked in sort of February and March. Sometimes we don't pick our musket grapes until early May. Mm. So they hang out there for a really long time and uh, we can do that in Rutherglen 
due to our weather when it's it's we have a really long dry growing season into autumn even so if we get rain uh when the grapes still out there it's very easy for disease and rot to start oh. and breaking down the breaking down the grapes themselves which is not a good thing but in rutherglen we've got um beautiful dry autumns so we can leave the grapes out there for a really long time and they're, they're usually fairly safe weather-wise yeah. so that they're, they're eventually dehydrated and shriveled up little berries almost like sultanas that, that you see in the little uh kids uh boxes back <laughs> in the flashback yeah uh, they almost look like those but a bigger version so there's not much juice left in them at all um and by the time we we pick those grapes. We usually get, uh, for table wines, we get about 700, 750 litres per tonne. Mm. For musket, we might get about 200, 300 litres per tonne. Oh, wow. So just to kind of um, sh- uh, explain the, the how dehydrated they really are. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's really interesting. So they're, they're um, basically really high in sugar, but yep. not a lot of actual juice. Yep, 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 yep. And uh, I was actually reading that the musket family of grapes uh, includes over 200 varieties that are used for wine production, raisins, table grapes. So it's a pretty versatile variety, right? It is, yeah. It's a big family. Uh, Some of the siblings of the musket that we use for our musket wines, some of its siblings uh, go into things like Moscato, uh, yeah, as you said, table grapes, uh, it's, it's a very aromatic variety, so it, 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 it contributes aromatics to quite a few different wines. Mm, I also like it with, um, with cheese, the grapes. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, mm, yeah. Yum. Yep. Ah, uh, now, as we work our way into the wine itself, now there's a classification system around musket. Now, can you talk us through it? But I also want you to touch on, for people at home that don't know what a classification system in wine is, can you give us a top liner and then explain what the classification system for musket is in Rutherglen? So classification system, in my mind, is a uh, system where boundaries are, are set, uh, not by law, but by um, uh, as a framework, I guess. Boundaries that um, you abide by, do your best to abide by, and that provides a product that can uh, be a consistent. sort of consistency of product from year to year, I guess. So about 15 or 20 years ago, the winemakers of Rutherglen as a group or, uh, who made uh, all the wineries that made musket here got together and, and tried to belt out a, a, um, a system whereby our visitors, our customers could come and, and understand the sort of age and quality of our different uh, musket wines from one winery to the next. So someone might have, back in the day, they might have had a, uh, a wine called Beryl's Blend and then they'd go next door to another winery. <laughs> it might be uh, grandma's favourite on the label or something. And it was so confusing for cus- not only winemakers ourselves but also um, the customers. Um, so we wanted to make it simple and quite easy to understand for particularly the customers, uh, so the winemakers of Rutherglen came up with a classification system whereby our muskets are uh, all labelled the same, which alluded to the quality and the age of each of the the wines within that system. So the youngest material that uh, is bottled we call Rutherglen musket, and that's the same for all of the wineries in Rutherglen, and that's roughly um, around sort of six to eight years old. And then the next level up uh, is classic musket, and then that's around roughly about 15 years old. The next level up is called grand musket at all the wineries, and that's roughly uh, 25. And then uh, the older one is rare musket, and that's around 50 years. 
mm. of age. So our, our muskets at all the wineries here are non-vintage, which means that it's a blend of different years. You might see non-vintage on uh, champagne bottles or, or mm. a few other uh, styles of wines. Um, but for all our muskets in Mother Glen, they're non-vintage, so they'll have older material and younger material blended together out of barrel mm. to make the average age. Right, and I and we're going to get on to that. Um, we're going to come to that, but I around the Solera method. Uh, so if I went to any winery in Rutherglen uh, and I picked up a rare musket, I would know that it had to have been aged roughly for fifty years. Yeah. So yep. there's that consistency across. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's yeah. really trying to simplify the, um, uh, the the presentation and the labelling for our customers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. Uh, let's talk winemaking techniques. I find this fascinating. How do you produce musket? So as I uh, mentioned before, we, we try and get the grapes super ripe out in the vineyard, so really high sugar level. And then uh, the, the, the grapes are brought in, harvested either by hand or machine, brought into the, the winery, and then the grapes are crushed. Um, so you have a sort of a, uh, a mix of... Um, berries that have been crushed open and also whole berries still. And we leave that for a certain period. Every winery is different, but I leave my crushed grapes in a, in a, in a press usually um, for a couple of days uh, just when it starts fermenting. And that time that we allow the crushed grapes to be in contact with one another, it, it extracts more sugar out of the skins and it gets, gives time for more sugar to come out of, out of the kind of the, the, uh, the crushed, all the crushed grapes. And... Once the fermentation just starts, so we've made a little bit of alcohol, we press the grapes in the press and pump out the juice into a tank. And we, again, there's a few different methods, but we generally cool the the juice down in tank, juice slash wine in tank, cool it down and then add spirit. So we, most of the wineries in the the region used to have their own still on site. So there'd be a local customs officer who would come out with a key and the winemaker would have a key. This is sort of 100 years ago. 100 years ago, And they'd both unlock the, the door to the still room and the customs officer would see how much um, spirit you've made and tax you accordingly. Oh, wow. And then when that system finished, that customs officer apparently went around with an axe and drove an axe through the side of the stills so <gasps> it couldn't be used anymore. Really? Yeah, which is quite an amazing bit. It's pretty brutal. I think there's still a few stills at wineries here with the axe hole in the side. How interesting is that? Yeah, I didn't know that. It's pretty cool. Um, but these days we have, we buy spirit from a place called Tarak. In, they've got a few places, but ours comes from um, the Barossa Valley. Yeah. And it comes in drums and it, we get samples before we, we actually um, we start harvest and we look for the cleanest spirit we can so they make spirit out of leftover skins and seeds and things from wineries over there from yep. harvest and they, yep. they extract alcohol out of it but for musket we just want the the, the the grapes to give the aromatics not the spirit that we're adding yeah so that spirit uh, we pump into the tank there's a, a very um, cork doggy um, boring thing called a Pearson square and we calculate we we part of that equation is we put in how many litres of we have in the tank, yep. the alcohol that it currently is at, mm-hmm. uh, what the, the strength of that spirit is, which is usually about 96% alcohol. <laughs> and then that equation spits out how many litres we need to pump into that tank to get the alcohol up to 18%. 
Yeah, because before that, you said earlier it's about sort of five percent yeah, naturally, right. and then yeah. you'll take it up to eighteen. Depending on the year, we'll have a little, a few, a few degrees of alcohol uh, to start with, and then yeah. we, um, we we use that equation to work out how much um, spirit to add into that tank of wine. Yeah, before you add the party back in. Yeah, that's right. Um, and on so, uh, I so I, m- I mentioned it earlier the Solera method yep. uh which is and you touched on it as well how you sort of blend different years into each bottle can you explain what a solera method is and how it applies to your winemaking technique sure so solera once that um just taking a step back i guess once the wine the, the spirit's been added to the wine we let the um all the sort of bits of um, grape skin settle to the bottom of the tank and then we pump the wine out of tank into barrels now, a Solera system, if you imagine a pyramid, uh, a stack of barrels in the sort of shape of a pyramid, mm. it, it offers a very consistent um, product from one year to the to the next. So if you put your um, youngest wine in the top level of that pyramid and then take out um, some wine to be bottled out of the bottom level of the pyramid, the barrels that are on the floor, mm. and then over the year you fill those bottom barrels that you've just emptied for bottling with the level above um, if you top up those barrels with the level above and so forth and so on, up the stack. Yeah. So you get a, getting a consistent wine um, from one year to the next. That's, that's called a, a strict Solera, um, which is used in places in Spain and Portugal and also in Australia, many wineries. We have something called a modified Solera, which is a bit kind of a bit more loose and free, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Whereby our... Uh, if you imagine dismantling that pyramid of barrels and put them in different parts of a winery where it's some parts are warmer and some parts are cooler, mm. it's basically a, a de- deconstructed pyramid or solera um, throughout the building. And because um, taking, for example, a winery like Campbell's, they, uh, as far as I know, they have quite a strict solera and the wine is always the same one year to the next and always uh, beautiful wines, whereas our um, modified solera is uh, I go around to the different barrels and, and make up the blends from usually the same barrels um, from each year. Do you ever mix it up a little bit? I do because some of the barrels, if you, ex- if you as I mentioned before, if you imagine our youngest material that goes into our Rutherglen musket classification, some of those barrels get older and older, or they all get older and older. So I'll, mm. I'll have to, um, those barrels will eventually be bump up, upped up yep. into the classification to the classic, which is older and above the Rutherglen. Yep. So then I use younger barrels for the Rutherglen musket. So I do mix it up. It's not a recipe you use for yep. ever. Yep. Um, but that's part it, of the beauty of it's putting a look it and together. feel. It it's is. A look and feel. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a nice way to be. I think. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Loose, fancy, free. And I don't want to just. Sorry, Tom. Just to um, finish on the Solera system. Yes. I. I I probably could change our modified Solera to a uh, strict Solera, but at the same time that might change the style of the wine that's been made here for so many years. And I'd, I'd, if I did that, I'd be worried about being struck by lightning. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to fix what ain't broken, mate. Yeah, you yeah. know, and you make exactly. a nice wine, so let's not go there. <laughs> Thank you. Um, now, what's the t- – I mean, obviously you've touched on it, but, like, let's firm it up. What's the typical ageing capability of a musket? Ooh. <laughs> I haven't found any that's too old, put it that way. It's a short version, but we have material that's sort of 120 years old in barrel and um, it's it's still a beautiful wine. Obviously, we, we um, take care of it like you would any of your kids. Um, 
<laughs> but the, the, it's the, they they can age for I assume for hundreds of years in in barrels if they're taken care of. Um, hundreds of years. Yeah. Wow. There's no reason why they they wouldn't. I guess. What's the oldest you've had? Uh, of ours? No, just in general. Oh, uh, in general, in the oldest. It's probably that 120 year old cask of wine. It's a pretty old wine. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have uh, bottled wine of that age anymore. But um, uh, yeah, it's beautiful as far as the aging capability goes in bottle. Once these wines are in bottled, uh, in bottle, and have a closure, so a, a, a capsule. Or, um, however, we we um, finish the bottle. Uh, they're trapped in time, so they don't do any aging in okay. the bottle itself. Um, they do all their aging work in barrel, where they um, will probably get to it. But the the evaporation of water out of the casks is what makes these wines progress and get older and and more beautiful. Once yep. they're they're bottled, they're they're sort of trapped in time. Yeah. So let's touch on that now. While you mention it, obviously, as we move up the system from rather Glen to classic to grand to rare, what does change and and how does the wine evolve so the biggest factor is um uh the, the climate throughout the, throughout the year so these wines change in over time in their barrels and casts by losing uh, mostly water out of solution so uh which we call the angel share so i work on about eight percent of loss per year out of our barrels and you, you can't see that happening it's um water evaporating through the, the the walls of the of the barrels and casts into the atmosphere and a little bit of spirit goes with that but also it's it's mostly water um, and that makes the resulting wine richer and more dense and more viscous and again um, uh, more luscious and uh, before this I mentioned that it's an accountant's worst, worst nightmare <laughs> having to write off eight percent of this beautiful wine and um, uh, because it, it disappears into the ether. But without yeah. that happening, it wouldn't make these wines what they are. So it's part of the process. Yeah. If, if we stored them in, say, a stainless steel tank, that process wouldn't happen because mm. mm. the wines don't get the opportunity to evaporate the water from them. So um, being in cast is, is really the, the, the process. What happens, Nick, just out of curiosity, what happens, like, if it just keeps evaporating more and more water evaporate over hundreds and hundreds of years, do you just – will it just hit a point where it's just like – there's virtually nothing or it's just like a really thick, 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 dense material. Like what, what would be I'd, the result? I'd imagine it'd be sort of almost mud by the end of it. Oh. <laughs> Delicious sound, mud. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that doesn't sound advertising, but now that you say it, maybe it does. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> you just eventually lose all the water. Yeah, right. So interesting. <laughs> what um, As you progress through the classification system, you get into the older muskets, what sort of tasting notes do they typically develop as they age? So the uh, the youngest material, the, the, the aromatics are quite bright and floral um, and interestingly, the musket family is probably the only family or variety of uh, uh, Vitis vinifera grapevines that smell grapey, mm. um, mm. which is an odd thing to, to say but uh, for wine, but um, they're very aromatic and, and sort of musk, musk sticky. Um, you know those purple, the pink must sticks. Um, mm. Oh, yummy! From back in the day, mm. uh, the young, the young material really smells like those. And then as they get older, they go through a sort of phase of becoming more uh, honeyed and toffee characteristics on the on the aromatics and also on the palate. And then towards uh, the the older material, so sort of twenty five years onwards, um, they're more chocolate and coffee. Uh, and then t- 
right at the sort of upper end. The older material is almost like a um, uh, leather, sort of worn leather character with all that coffee and mocha and everything mixed in. Mm. It's um, yeah, it's interesting how they 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 age over time with their aromatics and their and their um, palate. Mm, mm. I have to. Say, I was saying to Nick that I yeah, I'm only just starting to get back into dessert wines, and um, I'm loving them. Oh, Nick. Now let's talk. Actually, before we talk food, because that's my favourite topic, let's do a bit of a tasting. Now, Nick and I landed on because there's quite a few here. We landed on three, so we've landed on the. Can you you tell me, Nick? Uh, this is one that I just got out of um, barrel this morning. It's 2021 musket, so it's the baby of the of the group here of the lineup. So it's only. Uh, been in barrel for since about June, so whatever that is, a few months. Um, so it's still quite bright and light in colour, almost pink. Mm. Um, and then the second one we'll try is Classic Musket, so I mentioned before, which is about 15 years old, uh, in bottle. And then the oldest material that we have out of uh, cask is what we call Museum Musket, and not to try and confuse your listeners, Tom, but um, <laughs> Museum Musket is one that sort of lays lies outside of the classification and, and it's a 100-year-old blend, so it has some older material and younger material, mm. but the average age is 100. Yeah, wow. And there's a, there's a, only a handful of wineries in the Rutherglen region that have material that old. I haven't seen the others, the other wineries uh, bottle it, but uh, we put it into a beautiful bottle and uh, sort of gold labelled and, and we call it Museum Musket. Because you were saying to me earlier that you have one cask of it do you get nervous? I mean, what happens if that thing spills? Well, like <laughs> earthquake, <laughs> you know? earthquake or something? Yes. What happens? It was you the know? first one I went to the other day. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm it's sure it's seen a few earthquakes. <laughs> time, but, uh, it does make me nervous, and I generally don't tell anyone where it is. Um, don't ever tell anyone where it is. <laughs> uh, it does make me nervous. Yeah, so I probably should split it into a few. Different casks. I think after this podcast, we've agreed that you're going to be doing that. <laughs> you're like, well, it's, it's, it's so much history tied up. It you is. Know? Yeah, it's worrying. And it's amazing just to think what that wine, uh, the, the period that that wine has uh, been there for. Not that it's um, in, uh, it sort of has a personality in its own, but it's sort of seen world wars and um, pandemics and uh, all sorts in its time. Um, and some probably rowdy um, bachelorette parties or yes, something. Yeah. <laughs> But that's actually, Nick, it's, it, it, it kind of, you know, that, uh, that turn of phrase, if walls could talk, mm. so if wine could talk, you know, imagine what that wine would be telling yeah, us. Yeah, amazing. Uh, so let's taste them and talk through how they develop. So we've got one from 21, we've got one that's 15 years old, and then one that's 100 years old. Sure. So, Nick, I wanted to ask, the first thing I noticed when I was swishing it around in the glass is that these well, what you call legs, these long like drips running, thick drips running down the glass. What yeah. is that? Uh, that is a sign, generally a sign of um, uh, sugar. Um, but it, it's a combination of factors. So sugar and alcohol really make those legs. So when you swirl the wine around the inside of the glass and then watch the glass and there's what we call, what us winos call, uh, legs running down. So the drips that run down <laughs> the inside of the glass. But it can also be um, also tricky. It's with what uh, detergent's been used to wash the glasses and all sorts. But generally it's a it's a alcohol slash sugar content sign. Yeah. And so we're tasting it. 
now, what should we expect from something from 21? 21 was a, a beautiful year. Um, it, the weather was kind. The grapes hung out there for a really long time. We got the, the sugars really high. It was just one out of the bag, 2021. It was just we, as winemakers, we never get too excited until we get grapes in the winery undercover and wine made and even in the bottle. Where they, they get us a bit nervous until the wine's actually <laughs> tucked into bottle. But uh, 2021 as a, as a season was um, really exciting and, and, and really comfortable. What, we didn't have those big sort of heat spells. Mm. Um, we didn't have the, the unseasonal sort of rain. So it was, it was a beautiful year. This wine, Tom, is um, it's obviously uh, a long way from being in bottle. Uh, it's got a lot of lot of work to do before that happens, but it is in my mind. Uh, it's it's a bit of a confused kind of adolescent wine, <laughs> a sure. rogue teenager. Yeah, not sure who it <laughs> who it wants to be or should be. Um, so the alcohol and the the fruit is sort of detached from one another. They're they're not balanced or intertwined yet. Yeah, um, it's still obviously sweet and um, and has plenty of uh, warmth from the, the spirit that's been added, but that'll integrate over time and then it'll become a lot happier in itself. So yep. that won't be bottled in, until that sort of process has, has started. Well and truly started. kicked in. Yeah. And so we and then we move into obviously fifteen years and obviously the you know most notable um, difference is the colour. Yep. Uh, and the it's much more viscous. Yeah, uh, that's right. So yeah, in the lineup uh, for the listeners, the um, the youngest one that I was just um, speaking to the 2021 was quite bright and vibrant and pink, but over time, these with that slow oxidation period in casks and barrels, um, the wines get darker as they as they go along. Um, so, as you mentioned, the, the obvious obvious difference between the 2021 and the 15 year old is it's this is quite amber in colour, mm. sort of almost sort of uh, honeyed and amber, and that's due to the, that slow oxidation process before it goes into bottle. Mm. The, as far as the palate goes, it's um, much happier in itself, in its own sort of being. Uh, the, the fruit and the, the, the warmth of the alcohol and the aromatics are all, all very happy and, and intertwined and, and working well with one another. Mm. Uh, and it's uh, also had that time in in uh, that's maturation time to lose a lot of the water out of out of um, out of solution, so out of the wine. So it's sort of it's a lot more thicker and more viscous. Mm. So comparing the first one to this, uh, the classic musket, the fifteen-year-old, uh, it is a lot higher in well, quite a bit higher in sugar. The first one's probably about two hundred grams a liter, and yep. uh, this one's probably about two hundred and eighty. Yeah, right. Grams. Okay. Yeah. And um, and it tastes it tastes like yummy. You know, a bit coffee, a bit maple syrupy. It's uh, delectable. <laughs> Uh, now, as we shift out, so this is an exciting one because we're trying the museum release. So this is a hundred-year-old musket, yeah, which is pretty special. And it's kind of reminds me, like when I look at it, Nick, it kind of reminds me of um, Mum used to have this like chicory, like coffee liqueur. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. That's like the color. That's what it reminds me. Yeah, of. Yeah, that's right. True. Very true. Yeah, it's um. Wow, look at the way it coats the glass. It's so thick. Yeah, you can almost. Almost stand a spoon up in it. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but look at that, Nick. Like even the colour, like it, well, you, you swish it around in the glass yeah. and the colour is retained on the glass. On the glass. On yeah, the glass. It's almost staying in the glass. Yeah. It's a beautiful wine. This is a wine that I obviously haven't had any uh, winemaking as such uh, to do with, uh, but it's one that I certainly um, uh, put time 
plenty of time, care and effort into making sure we look after it. Mm, mm, um, mm. It's very important, not only for well, sales, but I think more importantly is part of the history of the place and yep. and many of the all the other winemakers of Rutherglen would agree that their wines in uh, that they have in their respective wineries are something that we need to to look after and nurture for uh, the history of the region and, yep. and the wineries themselves and yep. future generations. Yeah, well, I was going to say it's just it's a legacy. It is, that yeah. Been, that's been passed on to you. Yeah, and you can't. It's irreplaceable. No, yeah. So let's taste it and talk me through it. Holy moly. <laughs> oh, that's a nice – that's a nice wine. <laughs> wow. I almost feel guilty when I'm tasting these wines that I'm, I feel like I'm wasting it on myself when I should be uh, oh. involving – Others to enjoy Introducing it people yeah, to it. Yeah, that's right. Um, wow, Nick. It's beautiful. It's had a lot of time in, in, in its barrel, obviously, mm. um, but there's not a huge barrel influence. We only uh, store these wines in barrels that no longer have any barrel flavour to give. So we're just letting the wine speak for itself rather than having outside influences, like I mentioned with the spirit before. We want the, just the, the wine itself to, to be the in the limelight. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so thick. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. I feel very privileged to taste these wines with you. Uh, I want to talk about food. Yeah. What am I pairing a musket with? Good question. It's a it's a topic that often comes up when we're tasting these. And I guess from the um, the younger material, the the sort of youngest, like the Rutherglen musket that's, I say young, but eight years old, it, it really pairs well with... Um, with cheeses, hard hard cheeses, mm. uh, and as the wine gets older, um, I mentioned to you earlier that uh, a lady came into Salador years ago and asked for a bottle of musket to take home, so she put it in the freezer and <laughs> pour it over good vanilla ice cream. Oh, a woman that knows what she wants. Yeah, she's a genius, and I had never heard of that before, so of course I went home that night and did the same, and it was just a, a beautiful, simple, but luscious uh, dessert. Mm. It was just awesome. Yum. Um, I'm not much of a cook, or... Not anymore. <laughs> but that's, that's you make wine. You can't do everything. God. But it's a great, uh, it's simple dessert uh, that just knocks knocks your socks off and you can't eat enough of it. And then I think as the wines get older, and I, I, I'm sure um, hopefully other winemakes will agree, uh, they're a dessert in their own right. Yeah. So having a glass of old Rutherglen musket is mm. just a beautiful way to finish a, a meal without having to have the, the palaver of, um, of of fashioning up a, a dessert for a dinner party. <laughs> uh, and it's also a nice sort of surprise for, for guests when, I, um, when I'd have mates around or up, up back in the day when I could have mates up from Melbourne to, to stay or down from Sydney and uh, we'd have a big couple of first, first and second course uh, would be quite big and then mm. I just everyone's sort of full to the brim, and then I'd I'd bring out just a few glasses and an old musket. Mm. It's just uh, a nice little kind of nightcap, I guess. Mm, mm. And do you serve it? Uh, do you? I mean, obviously you can serve it cold. You could chuck it in the freezer because it wouldn't freeze. Yeah, you, for you sure. Serve it cold, room temperature. Like, what do you recommend? Oh, in summer, I love the younger wines uh, served cold, mm. straight out of the fridge. Mm. Um, I'm I'm my sisters will probably say I'm a bit of a tradi- traditionalist, but. Um, <laughs> I'm coming around, so younger younger wines that we're not getting too pedantic these days. So even a few blocks of ice mm. um, by the pool in the warmer months, and then uh, 
the, the older the older wines I think um, should be treated more like a um, more res- bit more respect I guess in yeah. that uh, they're sort of room temperature or, or not cold basically to, to really let the aromatics lift from the glass. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. And also, lastly, savory. Would would you have it? Because obviously, very dessert sweet, you know. But could you also pair it with a savory dish? Yeah, for sure. Sort of. Uh, Appetizer, mm. um, certainly uh, savoury dishes work well. Sometimes with, um, I find with muskets because they're already so high in sugar. If you serve it with something like a, a chocolate pudding that's high in sugar too, it's just a bit of a sugar fest, mm, mm, um, mm, and it's just mm. all too much. Mm. So it's savoury. Anything savoury um, can work well with them too because they're, they're just distinctly different on the palate. How about pork belly? Yeah, yep. We can even use it in. Um, uh, a Jew, sort of a gravy. Yeah, to, you could. To, yeah, just cook it down a little bit. Yes. It imparts really nice flavours and things like that. Yeah, yum. So it's actually quite a versatile wine. It is, yeah. Yep. And we shouldn't get stuck in the sort of old school ways and days of drinking wines like this. Um, have a bit of fun with it and, and, and mix it up. Absolutely. Uh, Nick, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise, I've um I've thoroughly enjoyed this topic, and I've just looked down and thought, oh my god, this is one of our longer episodes. But it's so interesting that you know this is what happens. Uh, Nick, thank you very much for joining us. And you know, guys, come out to Rutherglen. It's a really beautiful part of the world, and try some muskets for yourself. Have a fabulous Friday, and I will see you all next week on By the Glass. <laughs> <laughs>